fulfilled the demand of the law. He had paid their penalty and were now free to live under the law of liberty by trusting in Christ. This is why Christ could say, Come to me, all of you who are tired and are weary, and I will give you rest. Right? Because the law cannot be fulfilled because we have to keep it perfectly, which we haven't done and which we can't do. But Christ has done it. And because of his good work, because of his obedience, he credits us with keeping it by putting our faith in him. Right? So the Jewish um, Christians had come to misunderstand what it meant to live in the freedom of the gospel. And uh, some of them had concluded that they had no responsibility apart from just trusting in Jesus, that there was no responsibility to living a holy life. Now, in effort to correct this, James writes to teach believers that genuine saving faith is an active trust in God that by nature will reveal itself in external actions, sometimes referred to as good deeds, and in our passage is referred to as works, right? So saving faith is an active trust in God that will inevitably display itself in external actions. It's what Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What's, what you fill your heart with is what's going to come right back out in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, right? So James writes to correct the errors that we've just been describing. These works are important, and the first thing that James wants us to know about them is good works are evidence of justification, not the cause of it. James shows us this by giving us two Old Testament examples. The first one is found in the person of Abraham, who was shown to be righteous. If you look there at 2.21 in James, we read, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham was and is Someone who is revered by Jews and Christians. He is the father of the faith, right? And we read of Abraham, who was formerly known as Abram, in the book of Genesis. I know uh, some of the girls here have gone through the book study of Genesis, so you're going to be familiar with uh, what we're going to be sharing. But in Genesis 12, we find that God had drawn near to Abraham who at the time was a pagan man, and he called him to leave his home country of Mesopotamia and to go to a land that he and his descendants would be given. God drew near to Abraham and made a covenant or a promise, a promise to bless him with descendants and, a great, and create a great nation. And through him, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. You can read about that in Genesis 12. Now, you fast forward a little bit. In Genesis 15, we read that Abraham believed the Lord when God spoke to him. And as a result, God counted it to him as righteousness. 
Abraham believed. He entrusted himself to the God who had revealed himself. This is one of the meanings of the word justify. It is to declare to be righteous. In other words, it's a legal term that explains God's grace to all who place their trust in Him. What God does is God legally pronounces that person as righteous, even though he or she is not righteous on his own. That person is credited with the righteousness of Christ, all as a gift of God's grace. It's not earned. You don't have to write a check. You don't have to, you know, whoever can give the highest offering, God will bestow this blessing on you of forgiveness. No. It's a gift to be received. And it's received through faith. And God declares us to be righteous. Now notice that this is not what James is referring to. What does James say? He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by his works? Works here is plural and referring to more than one work. But James has a particular work in mind. If we continue reading, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So notice, he's not referring to Genesis 12, nor is he referring to Genesis 15. This is now Genesis 22, where God tested Abraham's faith by calling him to sacrifice his son. Now, we won't read the account due to time, but I encourage you to read it later today or during the week. It's, it's a great picture of the faith that Abraham had in God. So what does James mean when, he's, when he asks, wasn't Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Right. So Abraham, by this point, has already been justified. And the Greek word for justify has a range of meanings. Uh, one of them is what we saw in Genesis 15, where it means to declare righteous. The moment that Abraham believed God, God credited, credited him that belief as righteous. But a second meaning is one that we find here in our passage today, which means to demonstrate or to show to be righteous. So James is saying that Abraham's work of obedience in offering his son Isaac was a demonstration of the righteousness that he already possessed. Something that God had already declared him to be a few decades before. In this act of obedience of offering Isaac as a sacrifice, Scripture was fulfilled, as seen in verse 23. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham's obedience was not the cause of his right standing with God. Instead, Abraham's obedience, which came much after God had already declared him to be righteous, his obedience served as evidence that he had a living 
genuine, saving faith. When the test came, Abraham's faith was revealed in his response. Abraham did not have a mere profession of faith. He didn't say, yeah, yeah, God, I believe you're going to give me a land. Cool, I'll wait for it. No. Abraham had a faith that was evidence in his lifestyle, beginning by, or beginning with leaving his hometown and following God to wherever he directed him. This is what James is referring to as good works. That's our first example. Our second example is Rahab, because she was also shown to be righteous. And we see, we see something similar in her life. James writes in verse 25, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? So now, let's look at these examples. If Abraham was on one end of the spectrum, Rahab was on the completely opposite end of that spectrum. Rahab was a Gentile, a pagan. Before being uh, saved, she was a prostitute. Now, Scripture doesn't hold back on preserving these details for us, right? Uh, it acknowledges where men and women were found when the grace of God was shown to them. So we don't take this to mean that Scripture is endorsing this, but it does in the background of, uh, of her, her old lifestyle, it reveals the, the grace and the mercy of God towards those who put their trust in Him. Now, what's amazing to see is that here you have two people who are complete opposites, yet they were both accepted by God based on the same qualification, which is a true faith that is alive and that displays itself in action. It's a living faith. It's a faith that produces change in one's life. We learn of Rahab's story in Joshua chapter 2. And again, we're not going to read through it. Um, it's a long passage, but I encourage you to go home and to read it or to read it with others. It's awesome to see the work of God in these uh, narratives. But after God had freed his people, I'll give you a brief summary. Uh, after God had freed his people, Israel, from bondage in Egypt, he led them to the land that he had promised Abraham of year, uh, years before. Now Rahab was a Canaanite woman living in Jericho at the time when God's people uh, would come to invade and take over the land. But before they arrived... Word of God's great works, the works that we read of in um, the way that God rescued his people from the Egyptians, the way that he parted the Red Sea, the way that uh, his people crossed in dry land and then the Egyptians tried to follow behind them and that God closed up the, the, the sea and swallowed them up whole, the way that God intervened supernaturally, this word got out and this word reached Jericho. It came to the ears of not just Rahab, but all of the people that dwelled in that land. Rahab had heard about God and his great works. And, as, and she says uh, in Joshua 2, 10 and 11, As soon as we heard it, this news, our hearts melted. 
And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She heard of God and she believed. She put her faith in God. Rahab had placed her trust in the one and only God. And as a result of hearing the testimony of God's works, God credited her faith as righteousness. And I know that James doesn't say that, but it's implied and we'll see it because other passages in Scripture help us see this. But James shares this to show us that she did not have a mere profession of faith, but rather she submitted her life to God and it was evidenced by a change of allegiance. Even though James doesn't explicitly mention that she believed God, in Hebrews 11.31, we read that she did indeed possess saving faith. And uh, that's another chapter that I encourage you to read. It's uh, sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. An awesome chapter of the heroes of the faith that uh, is recorded for us that shows how they uh, lived their lives and even deaths, believing in God, trusting in Him and His promises. Right? But in uh, Hebrews 11.31, we read, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The evidence of this is given in James 2.25 now, back in our passage, where it says that in the same way Rahab was justified by works when she received the messengers and then sent them out another way. The messengers had gone in as spies, and it's possible that Rahab saw them as messengers of God. Now, before Israel took control of the land, Joshua sent two spies, here referred to as messengers, to check out the land. When they arrived, they looked for a place to hide, and they ended up finding Rahab's house. Word had gotten to the king of Jericho that the two men were in the land, and when these two men arrived at Rahab's house, Rahab identified herself with God's people and welcomed them in and hid them. Now, this is a Gentile woman, right? She was not an Israelite, but she placed her trust in God and thus identified herself as a believer. Now, any other person in that uh, town would have turned them away or even reported them. But Rahab didn't do that. Instead, she risked her life by helping them. She ended up hiding them in her roof, and when the king's men came to her house to ask for them, she sent them off in a different direction. She said, yes, they were here, but they went that way. When in reality, they were in her roof. She hid them. Now, there's conversation about if she's a believer, why did she lie? Christians aren't supposed to lie. Because in essence, that's what she did, right? She, she deceived these men the king's men that came to look for the spies. 
saying that the men had taken off when indeed they were hiding in her home. Well, just a brief comment on this. Uh, I've been convinced that what Rahab did was she made use of a war tactic, which is deceit, right? Even though the Israelites hadn't yet physically started the conquer of the land, the conquering of the land, the process of war had already started with the two men coming in to check out the land. Rahab showed her faith and allegiance to God by making it known that she had chosen her side. She had chosen to identify with God's people. And God used Rahab's quick thinking and act of putting her own life in danger to hand over the land to his people. Rahab played a crucial role in the conquest of the land because she believed in God and also because uh, she cared for God's people. God credited her, uh, her faith, as righteousness. She acted out on her faith. God honored it by sparing her life and her family when Jericho was destroyed. In doing this, Rahab demonstrated that her faith was active, that it was alive by doing the good work of serving God's people. And it's in this Rahab's work serves as evidence of her faith. And I think this is why James has this listed here for us. So these two examples teach us that good works are the evidence of saving faith. They give proof of a living faith that saves. The next thing that we learn about God, that was the, most, the longest point. The rest are going to be a little shorter. Then the next thing that we learn about good works is good works and faith work together. Good, good works and faith work together. They go hand in hand. The first way we see this um, is that good works follows one's profession of faith, according to James. Going back to Abraham, we see that his faith was not a mere acknowledgement of God. His faith was followed by actions as seen when, when Abraham left his home and followed God. But that wasn't the only time that it happened. Good works followed Abraham's faith as he continued walking with God. Now, an important note is that James is not saying that faith and works are equal in the process of being declared righteous. That's not what he's saying. Because that would go against Scripture, which, which teaches us that salvation is a free gift of God, which is received by grace alone through faith alone. We're justified, we're declared righteous by God through faith. That's it. We don't have to do additional works. But what James is communicating here is that saving faith will, will result in good works or the fruit of a true faith will be demonstrated by good works. Okay? One helpful way to see this relation um, is that faith is the means by which we are justified and works is the means by which faith is verified. So, I'll repeat that again. Faith is the means by which we are justified, 
and works is the means by which faith is verified. Okay? Good works, then, is an ongoing evidence that the followers, uh, that followers of Christ um, have a saving faith. Now, this doesn't mean that we will always produce good works because if you're like me, we fall short. I fall short. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you do too, right? And so we, we fall short and we sin at times. But what we can be sure of is that whenever someone is in possession of saving faith, good works are not too far behind. They will also be present. If the, save, if the faith is, is genuine, it's real, if it's alive. So good works follow faith. Good works also mature faith, according to James. We see this again in verse 22. The second way that, God, that good works and faith work together is, uh, in the life of Abraham is that his willingness to offer Isaac brought his faith to maturity or completeness. According to James, faith is not static. Instead, it matures and it grows as one, one's knowledge and trust in God matures and grows. So they go hand in hand. For Abraham, what began as a gospel seed in Genesis 12 matured into a more developed faith that was evidenced by spirit-filled obedience as his life continued. The base, the foundation, remained the same. Genuine trust in our God who is unchanging. So what does this mean for us as believers? Well, I believe that Abraham's example shows us that saving faith works itself out in daily living. Saving faith will work itself out in daily living. It will mature. It will grow. I love um, being able to accompany Erica when she takes easy to the doctor's office because the doctors, you know, give them the full checkup. Sometimes they have to give them shots. And, uh, but it's cool to hear when he comes back and he says, oh, his uh, vitamins are good. There's no deficiencies. He's growing. He's healthy, right? He, he, he's alive. <laughs> and this is the picture that James is giving for us here, that a living faith is going to mature, is going to develop, is going to grow as one walks with the Lord. It's what Paul refers to as sanctification this is a lifetime growth of obedience to god's word the more and more that we find ourselves in trials or tests the more we will have the opportunity for our faith to mature now does this sound familiar this is exactly what james has been telling us all along it's what James mentioned in chapter 1 where he says, My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you find yourselves in trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. Let perseverance have its full effect. Right? 
Don't, don't, don't try to stop it. Don't try to get out of it. Let it have its full effect. Why? So that you may be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Right? Trials are used by God to mature our faith, to develop our faith, to grow us in our faith, so that we too could walk in the footsteps of Abraham if God were to call us to make such a sacrifice. Right? Because the faith that Abraham had back in Genesis 12 hadn't matured to the faith that he had when God had called him to offer Isaac. It was still a seed, but it developed and matured and it grew. The reason for our joy in trials then is that God uses our trials to make us more like Christ. It's in this context then that we understand why James would say something crazy like, my brothers, when you find yourself in a trial, be joyful. It doesn't make sense unless you understand that the God who loves to do the good work of maturing us to make us more like his son is involved and he is using the trial for your good. Right? What's God doing in all of this? Well, he is undoing the effects of the fall. You see, when God created us, he created us to be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. He created us to be men and women of integrity that are whole and complete. But sin, sin has distorted that good creation. And that's why we fall short. This is why we cannot keep God's word because all of our being has been tainted by sin. It's been affected by sin. And that's why we cannot produce any good works of our own that would be acceptable to God because any good that we do is tainted by sin, right? But God is in the business of doing good works. He's in the business of saving people to make us more like Jesus Christ, his son. So when you find yourself in a test, how will you respond? Will you demonstrate the works of obedience by trusting in the Lord? by obeying him, depending on the, 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 the circumstance or the trial that you find yourself in. Know that if we sin, if we fall short, if we fail the test, the scripture gives us comfort. It tells us that when we fall short or if we fall short, we have an advocate, we have a lawyer with Jesus Christ. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is great news if you belong to Christ, right? So the second thing that we learn is that good works and faith work together. And last, good works reveal God's people or demonstrate God's people to be righteous. In verse 24, we read, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James brings his argument to a conclusion. He summarizes it by reminding us that good works is not what leads us to be declared um, 
is not the basis on which, uh, by which we're declared righteous. Instead, good works, as James uses the word, is shown to demonstrate that we have true, living, genuine faith, that our faith is legit, that our faith is real. We are saved by faith alone. Faith will be accompanied by good works. So as you respond to, to God in faith and daily living, choosing to obey Him and to live for His glory, you can have assurance that you belong to Him. Because when you see good works in your life, the right response is not to say, good job, Oscar, keep it up. The, good, the, the proper response is to say, praise the Lord. Any good in me is a result of His good work. It's a result of what He has been doing. Beginning with the faith that we have, it's a gift that comes from God. And it is God who is at work in us, who gives us not only the desire, but also the ability to carry out the good works that He has prepared for us beforehand. Now, one final warning. James wraps up in verse 26 by saying that an absence of good works demonstrates one's faith to be dead. So the opposite is quite true. Wherever there is no transformed lifestyle, James says that you are left with a profession that does not work, a profession of faith that is dead. The Bible is clear that we cannot earn right standing with God because of our sinfulness, right? Apart from Christ, all of our works are flawed and tainted by sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God, of His own will, does the good work of giving salvation and new birth to all who acknowledge their rebellion against Him and place their trust in Jesus Christ. God offers it free and full to anyone who would turn to Him by placing their faith in Christ. And He can do this because He is merciful and gracious. God's kindness is seen in the fact that He has designed a way for us to be declared righteous even though we are not. And that way is found in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The one who came to Obey God the Father perfectly on behalf of all who place their trust in Him. So what happens is that there is a change of allegiance when one places their trust in Christ. We go from living for ourselves to living for the King. We begin to bow down to King Jesus, the gracious King, and we receive new life. Our purpose in life then is restored. God saves us, not so that we would live for ourselves. He saves us so that we would live for Him. He saves us from the coming judgment, but He also saves us so that we would reflect His character and His goodness to the world as seen in our new lifestyle. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, some application. If we have any non-Christians visiting us this morning, 
We're happy to have you with us. Welcome. Welcome to FBC. We're glad that you could hear the word of God. Uh, James asks a question in verse 20. I skipped it purposefully and we're coming back to it. James says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? In the Bible, folly or foolishness is oftentimes used to refer to a person who lacks understanding, specifically an understanding of spiritual truth. If you're visiting today and you're you're not a Christian, you may be wondering, what relevance does this have to me? If you believe that faith in God means simply acknowledging Him, maybe agreeing with truths from the Bible, maybe coming to church here and there or on holiday, but there is no surrendering of your life or entrusting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, James asks you, are you willing to learn what genuine saving faith is? You see, the good news of the gospel, again, is that The gift of salvation is available to you today. Not as a result of how good you are. Not as a result of the good deeds that you have done. But as a result of how good God is and how gracious and merciful he is to all who turn to him. If you have any questions about this, please feel free to ask me, David, or anyone here uh, from the church. We would love to continue telling you more about this good news. Now, Christians, Abraham shows us that saving faith leads to obedience, right? Can you imagine the magnitude of trust in God it took Abraham to obey God's calling to offer his son as a sacrifice? We have to remember that Isaac was not one of many or a multitude of sons, right? Isaac was Abraham's special son, the one whom God had promised to bless him through. His very birth was a miracle because Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were way beyond the years to conceive. Now, moms, dads, you may be thinking, I don't know if I could ever do that. If God called me to sacrifice my son, right, my daughter, I don't have enough faith. In the book of Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, we're told that by this time in Abraham's life, He had been walking with God and grown in his knowledge and trust in God and believed that God had promised to bless him through his son and that God would fulfill this covenant. Even if God called him to sacrifice his beloved son, he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead and fulfill his promise. That's full-on trust in who God is. This is pure reliance and trust. You know, we do this uh, or something similar here when we at FBC once a year or whenever there's kids and it seems like it's every year by God's grace. We have a baby dedication, right? Uh, Where we uh, dedicate our children to the Lord. We commit ourselves as parents to raising them in the fear of him as we offer them to him. Mom, dad, parents, how would you respond if God called you to offer your child? He may not call you to do what Abraham did, to go and create an altar and to lay him down, right? 
But what if he has already predetermined and set your child apart to go off on the mission field when they get older for the rest of their life where they may end up losing their life all for the cause of Christ? Would that get in the way of your plans for them? Would you be willing to say, yes, Lord, let your will be done in my son's life or my daughter's life? Or would you resist and say, no, I already have my plans for them. No, thanks. Are you willing to obey and trust the Lord even when it comes at, at such a great cost like it did to Abraham? Or are you set on your own plan for their lives? Christian, you don't have to be a mom or a dad, but Abraham's example applies to all of us. Abraham shows us that when God called him to do something, he obeyed, even if it came at a great cost. And he was able to do so because he is trustworthy and always does things for our good and never for evil. So I want to ask you, are you uh, a doer of God's word? And do you obey what he calls you to do? Maybe God is calling you to do something as revealed in his word, but maybe you've been pushing it away. Maybe you're holding on to something that is dear and near to you, but you know you should give it up. It may be a relationship, a desire, or a goal in life. Maybe it's a particular sin, but how would your life reflect the good work of obedience to the Lord in your situation? I pray that the Lord would use his word to develop in us a greater trust that evidences itself in our obedience. And I pray that the Lord would remind us and press on our hearts that saving faith is always accompanied by good works. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are gracious. We thank you that in your kindness you've given us your son Jesus to save us, Lord, and to be our substitute. We pray that this truth would move us to be doers of your word, that this truth would lead us to love you and to obey you, and that we would be known as people who demonstrate the good fruit of repentance and who walk in good fruits uh, as a lifestyle. Would you please... Uh, Plant this word deep in our hearts and keep the evil one from snatching it. Help us, Lord, to love you and to demonstrate it by our good works. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.